Hello, and welcome to the AAMFT podcast. Your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Eli, back with you on the AAMFT podcast. And we are here today talking about leadership. Systemic therapists can consider themselves leaders in the therapy room. But we're talking about today is how do you take that MFT degree and use it outside of the therapy room? Thinking systemically, being a relational helper, expanding your leadership skill set to areas outside of traditional clinical practice. And I'm here to do that with two female leaders in the field, both the AMFT president and president-elect. Let me tell you about our guest today. AMFT president Shelly Hansen is a licensed professional counselor in LPC as well as an LMFT, specializing in individual couple and family therapy. She's been in private practice Since 2004, her clinical interests include trauma, transitions, identity formation, and various relationship issues. In addition to her clinical work, she's presented at various state and national levels on topic ranging from communication skill building, shame in the family system, supervision, and leadership, as we are going to talk about today. She's been actively involved with the AAMFT first as a president of the Oregon Division. She has also been on the AAMFT board as a general board member. I was lucky enough to serve with Shelly part of that time. And she has served as both the president-elect and now the current president. Her term will end at the end of 222, and that will make room for Sylvia Kaminsky. Sylvia got her master's degree, as she'll talk about today, from the University of Miami. And she has had several tours of duty on the AAMFT board and most recently serving as president-elect. And she will, in 2023, assume the position of president. As a LMFT for over 30 years, Sylvia has training in relationally focused therapies. And you'll hear her talk about some of her mentors today, including Jose Sapoznik, former guest of the AAMFT podcast. I think you're going to learn a lot. And this is an episode, again, if you've thought about how can I give back or do something outside with my systemic training, this is the episode for you. I have lots of great news to share, and we'll be back after we talk to Sylvia and Shelly. So happy to be joined today on the AAMFT podcast by the leadership, both the, the president and president-elect of the AAMFT, Shelly and Sylvia. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while, not only to talk about AAMFT, which obviously 
Many of our listeners are members of AOFT, but as we've found out in the last couple of years, many others listen just interested in systemic therapy. And we know thinking systemically is more than just what happens in the therapy room. So today we're all going to talk about pathways to leadership and really what MFTs can do outside of the therapy room, not only in service to AMFT, but just in general. I have known you all a while and have certainly know a little bit about your stories, but also when I talk to my colleagues and friends in these interviews, as I have the last four years, I always learn something new. So the first thing is, as you listen, we always ask to the origin story of how did you become a systemic couple and family therapist and LMFT, and then specifically your pathway to leadership? Thank you, Eli. This is Shelly Hansen. I am the current president of MFT. So I'll share a little bit about my story. I shared some of this when I did my president-elect video back in 2019. But at Eline, you may know some of this story. But when I started college back in 1980, I was two years in when I shared with my dad, who was a blue-collar, hardworking man, that I thought I would go into the mental health field as a profession. At that time, I only knew about psychology and social work. So when I told my dad... He sat me down and very solemnly shared with me that women couldn't work in this. It wasn't the worldview he had. So he told me my choices were to be a nurse, a teacher, a secretary, or a waitress. I'd already done three out of those four things <laughs> as jobs. And so I was devastated because none of those really felt fulfilling for me. So after two years of college, I stopped. I was paying my own way through, and so I couldn't see a vision of uh, doing that work for something that I couldn't understand what I would take it forward for. So I stopped going to college. I got married. I had three children. And then I entered this field basically as a second career after working some various jobs as I was raising my kids. So I returned to school and got my degree and then my graduate degree in MFT because at that point when I explored the mental health fields, I felt I had found my home with systemic therapies. It just resonated with me. It was how my mind already worked. So I was very excited to implement my own meaning-making with the scholarly work that was already in our field. And as a note, ironically, my father passed of cancer the Monday before my hooding that next Friday. So I really felt like my father was part of this significant journey. Did he get it at the end that what you were doing was a good fit for you and that you had found a second career path? Like we always say, even if we don't have the systemic language, once you think systemically, you can really never think another way and you are a natural systemic thinker. How did dad understand that at his passing? Yeah, I think that he really actually did. He was fighting for his life, so he was very distracted in that. So I would go to class and then go sit with him in chemo and pick him up from radiation, etc. But I'll never forget pulling himself to his feet to celebrate when I went through my original graduation while he was also battling cancer at that point. So he was very pleased that eventually I had defied what he understood to be true and was moving on. Yeah, great question. I do think he got it to some degree. Okay, Sylvia, tell us about your origin story in MFT. Sure. It was almost predetermined that I would be in the mental health profession or in this field, some, some leadership capacity, because I'm from a Cuban-American immigrant family. My parents fled Cuba with me as an infant in 1960 and then proceeded to have three other children. 
afterwards. And they went through a lot of trauma in those early days of fleeing the Castro regime. And my dad was a professional and he was able to get work right away and became a leader in his own profession of engineering. So I had that role modeling and also emotionally had to do a lot of caretaking in many ways of my siblings and of my mom who suffered from PTSD throughout my childhood. It seemed like it was just predetermined, like I said. Now, getting into systemic therapy was Believe it or not, hit or miss, it w I almost didn't make it into the marriage and family therapy program because I didn't know about it when I applied to my graduate school at the University of Miami. I knew that they had three tracks, that they had a mental health counseling track, a, a school counseling track at the time, and then a marriage and family therapy. It was in disguise that it was, it was about systemic tr thinking and treatment, which I completely aligned with. But I had the good fortune that I got a job as a grad student at the Department of Psychiatry in 1985, where the Spanish Family Guidance Center was housed at that time. And I met my two mentors, Dr. Jose Shaposnik and Olga Hervis, who are co-developers of pre-strategic family therapy. Yes, and guest Jose, a great guest on our show, where he talked about his collaboration with Olga, but great, to great I, two mentors to have, for sure. Yeah, I love that podcast. Of course, I listened to it intently. I learned some things about him that I, I didn't even know all these years I've known him. But I was very fortunate that I was there working with them during the time that the model was being developed and researched. And anyway, at the time they looked at me when they heard what I was doing in grad school, they were like, what are you doing? They looked at me like with three heads. What am I doing? What are you doing? Get getting a mental health counseling degree. So I, I was halfway through my program and I had to move oceans and mountains to take some independent study courses in order to be able to switch halfway through to marriage and family therapy. And then I joined AMFT as a student member in 1986. Those were my precarious beginnings. Wonderful. So as I was saying at the outset, as systemic thinkers, as MFTs, obviously we have the ability to be systemic leaders outside of the therapy room, but in the title of the profession, marriage and family therapy, again, not only as in both of your stories, does the general public not really know what that means, but we sometimes don't know how that skill set and thinking systemically and being a leader can be applied. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So it's different than our normal podcast where we're talking about what goes on inside the therapy room, but I'm curious how you all started your path toward leadership, advocacy, and the idea that we have a skill set that can be used both inside and outside of the therapy room? I love this question, Eli, because it is so applicable to systemic thinkers. I think that we have such a unique view and skill set that we can offer the world. For me, I'd already been doing a number of different leadership things before I entered this field. For me, really, the advice of my phenomenal supervisor and mentor, Dr. Anna Berardi, she encouraged me to get involved with the association itself. So I, like Sylvia mentioned, I joined as a student member. My year was 2003 to join. So I joined the association and she really was encouraging me to take a look at it and get involved. And of course, she had a little bit of a sense of some of the things I had done in leadership positions prior to coming into this field. But I was so grateful to have found this field that for me, it was like, here's a way I can do a pay it forward by trying to support the good work of this profession that was already pioneered by AAMFT. So I simply showed up at a meeting and I was living in Oregon at the time. I showed up at the state 
meeting for the division from AAMFD and uh, sat through that one day meeting. And by the end of it, I think I was co-chairing or helping with the conference, et cetera. And eventually I became president of that division. And then I entered into the National Board Service in 2013. But the point is so fabulous that you're making about systemic leaders. When we think this way, we're seeing how the systems are in a recursive way impacting one another. And so that's a unique skill set that we can bring, whether that's at your state legislature, whether that's in your community, at your church, your clubs, etc. It's a great way to find yourself contributing in meaningful ways. So I think that really aids us as leaders, considering both the meta and the micro of interactions, decisions, and plans. First, in terms of systemic thinking, and it started pretty much with my association with Jose Shaposnik and Olga Hervis. So it was pretty much cooked into my DNA from my early education. At the time, we were involved in a biopsychosocial study on AIDS in the mid-1980s, and it was a completely systemic study of HIV and AIDS in terms of disease progression and outcomes. So it's just something that has been applicable in my career from the way I think about everything and understand everything. And in my graduate program, I got involved with substance abuse at a very early part of my career and certainly saw the systemic implications of that disease. Got really interested in John Bradshaw's work at the time, and it was just the way my mind was formed. So becoming involved with AMFT was a natural home for me. And when I graduated in 1987 and started working at an agency at the time, a family counseling agency, and then started some private practice, it was a shock to me at the time in terms of getting more involved with AMFT on a leadership level that our license at the time didn't really seem to matter much in the world of managed care and insurance. We were not included. And it was just such a sense of indignation. And then survival at the time in terms of wanting to thrive and start a practice and be employed, I got involved in the local chapter, the Mammy Day chapter of MFT. And lo and behold, after a while, it was like, we need a new president. How about you, Sylvia? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sure. I'm no stranger or not averse to leadership, like I said, in my life. So I said, sure, it's got to be done. That started my lifelong leadership in AMFT with progressing on the division level at the time the Florida division on the board, and then as president of the Florida board, and then ran for national service in the 2000s and was on the board a couple of times before being elected as president-elect a couple of years ago. But that marginalization of LMFTs early in my career really impacted me in terms of inclusion and parity. It was very upsetting. It struck very deep for me as an immigrant. And it, uh, serving on AMFT since then, the leadership for me in the therapy room is really synonymous and isomorphic and synergistic with leadership in every other realm of my life. Oh, yeah, I, I can relate to that completely. So you are talking about these pathways to leadership that many people experience. So it's having good mentors, which you all had to hook you into things like that. And you get the bug for it. It is volunteering and then realizing that people need to step up. And it's also a pathway, as you were saying, Sylvia, where Hey, our livelihood depends on this notion of efficacy for our profession. If we don't do it, who will? And it's a case of, as I said, of the big five mental health professions. MFT is probably the least known as far as face validity and parity. And we've come a long way in the last 20 years or so, but we still have work to do. That is many people's pathway 
uh, towards leadership. Let's talk about what you've seen as the changes since you've been in the profession, uh, especially when you think of diverse members and the needs of females. And it's no coincidence I'm talking to two strong female leaders. And we'll talk about how that has shifted within AMFT central governance, but just in general, curious what you see as the changes in the profession with our diverse populations and the needs of our female members and practitioners over the last 20 years or so. When you state the profession, then we're speaking about what AAMFT has done for MFTs, all 60,000 in the USA at this point, because they represent the profession so that we have the ability to practice. So from there, I have to really take a look at some of the big picture pieces, which is, of course, is licensure which was huge, as Sylvia was so wonderfully highlighting. In Oregon, I was had the honor of sitting in the chambers when our parity law came, in, came to pass, and it was very emotional, and it was on the shoulders of those who had gone before me to work so hard in advocacy. So our licensure has been a big part of the profession. Of course, we had the TMA lawsuit victory, that really was a seminal moment of protecting our profession so that we all have the ability to practice. I think also some of the changes that have happened that have impacted all of us would be the restructuring within our association, which provided this network of interest networks. That's a bit redundant, but interest networks that allow our members to really focus on their specific areas of interest. For example, teletherapy or couples work or trauma or research. So those things are shaping currently our profession in significant ways that will then impact our uh, practice. Also, I just, I have to think about things like what came forward in the last several years, Eli, for example, the teletherapy best practice guidelines, Q guidelines that were recently published. And of course, right now we have this very exciting moment in time where the current U.S. president has included in his fiscal budget for EFTs in Medicare. This is the closest we've ever come. We've all been advocating for this for years. This would be a game changer of that recognition and accessibility for mental health for folks across the United States. Those are some pretty significant things that are specific to the profession itself. I would have just a couple more to add. I think Shelley's list has been fairly comprehensive, but also the fact that we've been included as providers in the Veterans Administration has been a huge development. And also that we're Medicaid providers. And I think the development of the core competencies was a really huge area for MFT and for AMFT in the educational realms. And the approved supervisor program, I think, has been a big boon for the profession and uh, for expanding licensure as well. It's interesting that the MFTs on the front lines, a master's level profession is heavily female dominated, but historically, the bishop of the AMFT or the board of directors is slanted toward PhDs. And the gender breakdown looks very different. I think another change is the movement toward strong female leadership and board representation at the executive level. And you all have been an integral part of that. I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners what led up to that decision and how do you think it's working out so far? 
Yeah, you're highlighting something that actually really excites me. For the first time in AAMFT's history, we have an all-female executive committee. The four officers, myself, Sylvia as president-elect, then Aaron Schaefer as treasurer, and Tess Goodfellow as secretary, all-female. Historically, as you said, we have not had that level of representation. Additionally, all four of us are master's-level clinicians in certain ways. Some of us have our private practice. Some um, Aaron Schaefer, for example, is the executive director of Community Health Site. We have multiple language that we represent. Some of us have served as adjuncts in MFT programs. And, and then Sylvia as an evidence-based trainer. So it's really interesting to see this mix that comes in from the master's level that sometimes is a little different from the PhD level because so many PhDs are in the academic track serving as faculty. This inclusion and this diversity that's being brought about, there's an intentionality, but it's also an interesting aspect about how our elections have worked. Historically, in our elections process, males tend to self-nominate. And because they tend to self-nominate and women do not, women seem to be perhaps hanging back and waiting for others to to put their name forward. And that seems to be the norm. So our association is approximately 70% female now. So the females have definitely been underrepresented and the master's level hasn't been underrepresented. It's a pretty exciting time to have that representation. And it's my hope that our diversity in this area of governance leadership specifically will continue to grow and have even greater diversity at the executive level. Um, this team of officers that I have the privilege of serving with, you asked how it's going. I am just so extraordinarily grateful and humbled by this team of officers that I am able to serve with, as well as the full board. It's really been a great experience so far. And I'm happy to see that we're encouraging other people, other emerging professionals to get involved. Eli, I want to follow Shelly by just adding my experiences, having served on the board from the, in the starting in about 2006 and serving alongside other female leaders. At, at, during that time, more female board leaders started running for, for the office of president, starting, oh, we have Annabeth Benningfield, who was our president many, many couple of decades ago or longer. But we had the pleasure of serving with Linda Schwally when she became president. And then there's been a string of very strong female board members that became presidents. Linda Schwally and, and uh, Mary Hoffett and Linda Metcalf, Marverine Oliver, to name a few. So there's been a lot of very strong role models from the leadership. And this certainly has been an inspiration and a motivation for women like me and Shelley to see ourselves not just as board members, but as in the officer roles. So this led to a surreptitious model of leadership that fostered inclusivity and equity, which emphasizes the strength of the collective rather than the individual. And I just want to share a personal good example of this, Eli. Shelly and I decided to run for president of AMFT at the same time. We threw our names in the hat, supporting one another. It was really a shock. And when we found out that we both made it on the slate, essentially competing with each other, we stayed connected throughout the whole experience, acknowledging that it was a win-win situation for the association. Shelley won at the first run, and then I ran at the next cycle, inspired and buoyed by the support of my diverse AMFT colleagues, and then obviously won a couple of years ago. So that's a good example of the kind of modeling and development of female leadership that's been so exciting.
for us. We're relational people. A part of the benefit of leadership too is it is these relational ties that bind us together, but serving while it may not have monetary rewards, as we always say, we're not in it for the income, we're in it for the outcome, but it does foster very strong relationships and friendships. And certainly, yes, you all did not let that uh, competing against each other, running against each other from getting in the way of your both professional and personal collaboration and friendship. So I do think that is a wonderful story and something to note. So let's say maybe I'm a young therapist as we have young and old listen to this podcast, but many young therapists say, okay, I have not gotten a course on leadership in my training, but I get how these systemic principles could extend outside of the therapy room. And then once you get more involved, maybe I don't have the aspiration to be AMFT president one day, Sylvia Shelley, but I want to get more involved. What are ways for people just starting out their career to start to expand their repertoire into leadership. I appreciate that you're thinking of the emerging professionals because whether it's male, female, or non-binary, we all have to find our path. So first, let me make it really clear. I actually never had any aspirations of president of AAMFT one day. I didn't even have aspirations to serve on the national board one day. So I just continued to serve where my passion was taking me. So when a person does that, as at least I've discovered, opportunities present themselves in front of you. And that continues to change you and move you forward, especially if you're receptive to those opportunities as they present themselves, even in leadership, even if you may be thinking, what do I have to offer to this? I have a philosophy that everything we experience in life, whether that may come from or whatever that is, can be pulled forward and used to inform and shape us in productive ways if we have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. So I think looking ahead of yourself and saying, what is before me? And am I willing to be courageous and take the risk and step forward? Most of us live with imposter syndrome at some moments of our lives. And so I think sometimes when a leadership opportunity comes in front of you, you think, oh, who am I to do that? Or as studies show, females tend to think, oh, I'm not qualified because I've looked at the list and I don't have two of these things. And yet, Understanding you can grow yourself in that and have that growth mindset, I think, can really open up those pathways in front of you. So I would be remiss as the current president if I didn't plug the leadership symposium at this point because it really is a great way to understand how you're wired and what your unique leadership skills are. And also, I think that our interest networks who need leaders and they need people who, as you said, will say, I'm not in it for the income, I'm in it for the outcome. That's a great choice of words. The interest networks are a really great way to have a path forward to, to see what is this like to serve if you're interested in governance or if you're not, but you're curious, what's it like? Then that's a really great place to explore. I also think that being an ambassador for systemic thinking in one's professional realms, wherever those may be, is an excellent vehicle for developing one's leadership skills. For example, when I became a clinical director of a local nonprofit agency in the early 90s, I made it a point to integrate systemic thinking across the board in the programs down to the clinical forums. I know that there are other AMFT leaders have been on that mission. Shelley mentioned uh, Treasurer Schaefer, who works for a men mental health agency in Ohio. I think working, whether in agencies or whether it's in private practice or schools, I think it's exciting 
to offer trainings or talks to other professionals and other providers on systemic therapy, on marriage and family therapy, offering supervision to other licensees that are not licensed in MFTs. I know there are a lot of licensed professionals that have called to get supervision specifically on couples and family cases and really need that systemic perspective. So putting yourself out there and being willing to be a leader in that movement, I think is a really good way a good mindset to have. You all mentioned a lot of important things. We'll highlight a couple of them. Shelly was talking about the leadership certificate, which we've referenced from time to time on the podcast. But Shelly, maybe if you could go more into depth, if someone has never heard of that, what you get at the leadership certificate. And even if you're not sure you want to commit to that, the AMFT has a leadership symposium March of every year. I feel like I look forward to that. Every year, I've been fortunate enough, as I know you will have to, to speak at that event where we do go outside of the therapy room. We talk about exactly what we're talking about on this podcast. So maybe you're not ready to commit to a certificate, but certainly the leadership symposium is a great entry way to understand more about what we are referencing this hour. Maybe to talk about both the certificate and your experience, both of you as both the presenters and attendees of that symposium. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the deeper dive on that. You said something of incomes and outcomes. That's a great example that for me as a full-time private practitioner, I have a loss of income as I serve on the association, as I travel, as I give those hours and those days, those weeks. And so I have a very real impact that happens to my work life and to my personal life in that. And yet the outcomes not only are for the benefit of the association and MFT as a profession, hopefully, but it also changes and shapes me. It makes me energized in different ways. It allows me to stretch and grow myself in ways that private practice does not do. And so that takes me into the leadership certificate program, which is a wonderful program where Basically, you apply into it and then you have 18 months of time where you are working on a portfolio and receiving materials and you have a mentor. And I believe both Sylvia and I and probably you as well, Eli, have been mentors for the certificate program. And you are really walked alongside to explore who you are, what you bring to this and what you are becoming as a leader. And it's a wonderful program that has led to people leading in various places, actually all across the world. So that's a very rich process that you're in with a cohort. You get to know them. The cohort tends to get pretty close and ironically, even closer during teletherapy, doing it virtually because they can meet up so much more often than in person. So that's an unintended outcome and benefit of that. And then the leadership symposium is a little bit different. The cohort does come to that, but it is really an energized, amazing three days of teachings, work groups. We have phenomenal keynote speakers. In this last one, we had Joan Higginbotham, who was the an astronaut for NASA and the third African-American astronaut, female woman, to go into space. She was phenomenal speaking about leadership. So that gives you that view of some of the outcomes that you end up getting are actually incomes for yourself in some ways from that exposure. 
I just wanted to add that uh, another way to, to get involved and get experience in your area of interest or expertise is to join the speakers portal, which feeds these the symposium and also the other offerings, educational offerings that AMFT has, you know, domestically and also internationally. So applying to that was anybody can apply to that as long as they present their credentials and their experience in presenting and that you can expand to your areas there, your areas of expertise or interest. So that's another thing that is available. I like how you're saying to Sylvia, this idea of being comfortable presenting, advocating for a profession. I have my students before they graduate develop their elevator speech. If they met stakeholders that maybe don't know anything about MFT, but are important people, how they would represent the profession. And then if you had to present either to a group of other mental health professionals that maybe are not systemic or a potential audience uh, consumers, how would you represent that? So I think these are also ways if our listeners out there are thinking about how can I get comfortable with this idea of how you understand the profession, your role in that, and how you would present that to other people. And Shelly also mentioned one of these seismic shifts in the history of our organization is moving from two-tiered. Eight years ago, we had you, when you belong to AMFT at the national level, each state has a division. And now we have a more member choice, which we all work together a long time on the board to get through our own learning experience doing that as far as our stakeholders and members. But this idea of member choice in these interest networks. So if you're interested in couples, if you're interested in MFTs in schools, that you have the choice. And I have my experience in the last four years of these interest networks is that if there, if you want to volunteer or you are interested, they will find a place for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be to the elected board, but most of the times MFTs are very welcoming. And if you want to be involved, there is probably a place. So I don't know about you all, but I've never been told no when I wanted to volunteer my time or service to something outside of the therapy room. Yeah. I love what you're saying. And I chuckled because those of us who will put our hand up. Yes. There is always a need for more volunteers. And I appreciate what you're saying that you may not want to run for an elected position, but you still can help in so many ways. One of the things that struck me as I came into AAMFT, especially coming from other places, is that we are so systemic and so relational. You, you punctuated that both of you and some of the comments that you've made. I laugh because we're such a huggy group. I was not raised in a family that hugs a lot. And it's something I've developed in my adult life is to remember to hug people. And now I really enjoy it. But it really struck me when I joined service at the national level, I was greeted with hugs by everyone. And now with COVID and whatnot, we're much more careful about that, ask permissions, all those kinds of things. But absolutely, if you want to be involved, reach out, look at the interest network that's intriguing to you, ask what you can do. There's always need for more people to contribute. And that makes us better. It makes us richer and broader in depth of our diversity, the more people that are involved. So we've just highlighted the major shifts. Hopefully every member of AMFT is proud of we look back at this, what do you want to say in the next decade, both from a leadership perspective, and also from just the idea of innovation and parity, where would you like to see our association and our profession in the next 10 years? I'll jump in on that really quickly with what excites me. Eli. And that is one of the things that actually Sylvia as PE sat as chair of our most recent task force for diversity, equity, and inclusivity. 
One of the things that excites me is that as systemic thinkers, we have the possibility, we have the opportunity, and we have the desire to systemically change our culture around DEI. And that's a very exciting development. We've now gone through and interwoven systemically and integrated DEI throughout our governance, but even more significant perhaps is our culture in these areas is shifting and growing and expanding. So I would love to see that we are the hallmark group that understands this and has integrated this into who we are and we live it out day to day. I read a fabulous book by Heather McGee called The Sum of Us and great systemic thinker in this book. And she takes a look at the impact of racism and exclusion and laws, etc. And the entire time I was reading it, I was like, first of all, very angry. How come I didn't know this part? How come I didn't know that? But also, wow, we as systemic thinkers could lead this. We can be a part of this. We can learn from this. We can embody this. So that would really excite me for our association, but also just as systemic thinkers throughout the world, wherever we are, whether you're part of the association or not, is to really understand and implement that systemic change throughout societies. What I'm excited, in addition to, of course, what Shelley just explained, I'm very excited about the foundation, which is currently being developed and expanded to incorporate more programming and research studies to advance the profession. Just recently, a consultant was hired on a temporary basis to be able to accomplish that. And so that's a very exciting area for the future, I think, for the association and for MFTs all over the world, actually. As our global interests are also expanding, we're getting more and more inquiries from nations across the globe to help lead them in their own development of the MFT profession in their areas. So that's extremely exciting. And we're opening, now we have more open pathways since the bylaws change to expand membership to allow some of these folks from around the globe to, to join as members. A lot of walls, a lot of walls are being torn down to be able to, to be more inclusive and to grow you know, just true systemic practitioners that we are. I was going to say, yeah, speaking of walls, we, the board of directors authorized the sale of the building last year. We have this building, we've had many homes as AAMFT, as so many people know, but it is time to reinvest those funds because we've run that investment and can use it in different ways. So that will be really exciting to see how we make use of that and the inclusion that will create. For example, let's say the Interest Network on Trauma decides to hold an in-person conference. We could have some kind of meeting in a local area there and meet additional people. It will make it much more affordable for folks to be a part of things versus traveling into Washington, D.C. only, as has been the case. So there's some exciting things on the horizon. That's a nice way to end. You were talking about this in our profession, we struggle with trying to do the things that honor our traditions, but in many of our traditions are wonderful. Others, not so much of being male, white, dominate, as we said, sophrenogenic mother, pathologizing, and we've long since passed a lot of that. But as we move toward equity and inclusion, it's also in our membership and that the barriers, even though we think this systemic way of thinking is great, the barriers to entering our profession, or in this case, our association can't be so great that it restricts or turns people off. So I do think these new changes that you've mentioned make it more inclusive 
not just for the diversity of our members, but for people that think systemically, but don't necessarily have the MFT behind their name to enter our profession, which I think is very important. That's what this secondary gain of this podcast, people will listen because they see the speaker or the topic and they will hear about AMFT and they will look more and they will see ways to become involved, like we've said. But no, I think that is a huge change. And I'll let you all have the final word. If you could tell our listeners, obviously you could correspond to the board through a board email, which you can give, but also just if they want to follow up with you as individuals on your story and your pathway, as many times our listeners are interested in doing with our guests, please tell them how they can do that as well. Absolutely. If you want to reach me, Shelly, you can reach me through email at Shelly, which is spelled like the author, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, <laughs> S-H-E-L-E-Y, ShellyAHanson.com. And I will respond to your email as quickly as possible. And for Sylvia Kaminsky, you can reach me via email as well at Sylvia at SylviaKaminsky.com. And that spelling is S-I-L-V-I-A at S-I-L-V-I-A-K-A-M-I-N-S-K-Y dot com. And I was just at the home of Mary uh, Shelley in, uh, in the UK, Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> it's ironic because my mother's name was Mary and my name is Shelley. And so it's the only way I can help people remember how to spell my first name. <laughs> Wonderful. And I will also say one thing. If you ever, as we hopefully move past the worst of this pandemic into a new way of things, obviously we've adapted technology to do things like we're doing now in our virtual AMFT offerings, but hopefully being back face-to-face, certainly if you ever get to meet Shelly or Sylvia, they're very welcoming, even though Shelly is not a hugger. She is very... <laughs> I've learned, Eli, I've so learned. Sylvia certainly <laughs> as an ambassador to our profession will welcome you. So both of them really good examples and I won't have them toot their own horn, but both honoring our history and where we're moving as a profession. But please, if you've listened to this and you want to follow up, please do on all of those things. Any last word, ladies, hopefully we've turned some people on to some alternate pathways to think about how they can use their systemic training. I really enjoyed visiting with, with the both of you and just sharing my humble beginnings and just how, how rewarding this career has been and continues to be. And I just want to encourage all the listeners to learn more about AMFT, to learn more about systemic therapies and to incorporate it in their personal and professional lives. Yeah, I agree. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, like I said earlier, who am I to do this or how would I get involved? There are so many ways to get involved. Start knocking on those doors and put yourself in there. We are a relational group. We'd love to have you be a part of us. And if you meet us face-to-face someday, please do come up and introduce yourself. And especially if you uh, learned about this or joined in with Systemic Thinkers because of this podcast, I would love to meet you. So thank you, Eli, for this time today. Eli, bringing to a close another installment of the AMFT podcast where we seek to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. Hope you learned a lot about ways you can start your leadership career outside of the therapy room. Let me mention some exciting things coming up. We mentioned the certificate of leadership. Maybe this is the first time you've heard about that. 
the Certificate of Leadership is the flagship program of the Leadership Network of AMFT. It's a unique program to provide MFTs of all levels. So whether you're junior or you've been in the field a while, all levels with the skills to enable them to help advance their own careers. It's designed to be completed over 18 months. It's built around a unique mix of training, education, and mentoring, as you heard, and self-discovery, a lot of work on yourself, that delivers the most comprehensive experience available. It focuses on key areas of leadership development, both in the concept and practical application of skills. The Certificate in Leadership includes 25 hours of continuing education comprised of live events at that leadership symposium and the Certificate in Leadership Day. And that is held usually March of every year. And new cohorts are launched each year in conjunction with the Leadership Symposium in March. So if you're hearing this, you still have a couple of months to prepare for that. This credential is ideal for MFTs interested in leadership positions within their place of work or communities or within the AMFT, as you heard Shelley and Sylvia speak about. MFTs interested in key roles in advocacy or policy development, again, pushing our micro focus in the macro world, and emerging MFTs interested in developing a foundational leadership skills to guide their careers. We hope you will be interested in that, and you can go to aamft.org to find out more. Coming up, though, in November 9th to 11th, the second annual Systemic Family Therapy Conference. It's a three-day virtual conference featuring workshops based on enhancing the systemic think, developing cutting-edge skills and training to propel our profession forward, and integrating MFT values into vital community and institutional systems that shape our global society. So certainly a lot of leadership available for you there as well. The professional member price is $125, a great value for this fully virtual conference. Adrian Blow, my colleague and I, in our new book, Bringing Common Factors to Life, will be speaking about that November 9th, a Wednesday afternoon. But if you're a student member of AMFT, it's even better, completely free. All you have to do is have a current membership as of November 3rd, 2022. You want to go to Networks. AAMFT.org slash conference. Networks.aamft.org slash conference. What a great opportunity. I can't wait virtually to connect with my friends and colleagues. We listen to you, the listener. In fact, this idea of leadership was something that came up from several young MFTs that had emailed me. And you can get a hold of me. Eli at NorthstarCounselingCenter.com. Also, check me out at Eli Karam. That's E-L-I-K-A-R-A-M.com. And there you can find out everything going on. In addition to the podcast, you hear me talk about the heart and soul of change and the common factors associated with our great profession and bind us together as relational healers and certainly you can go on that website and find out about our new book released from Rutledge bringing common factors to life also check us out on Twitter I'm at Dr. Eli Live the AMFT is at the AAMFT thank you so much for listening until next time my friends stay safe stay systemic <laughs>